Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning again. Uh, I already told you, but I'm Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. Pastor Chris, our lead pastor, who would usually be the individual who's up here, uh, the most regularly anyway, uh, isn't with us today. He and Nancy are out of town visiting with their uh, youngest daughter, Emmy. Um, So we're excited that they have the opportunity and that we get to serve in a church where our senior pastor has the ability to actually go see family um, and uh, and can rely upon the volunteers and, and the staff members that are here at New Life. This weekend, you're here for an exciting weekend. Three weekends out of the year, we hold something called Rally Weekend here at New Life. Now, Rally Weekend might be something that's relatively new to you. Uh, to me, it's a good portion of what I do. So it's an opportunity to get plugged into a life-changing community. It's an opportunity to join small groups. So three times a year, we formally launch small groups, and right now we're launching them, and they'll start next Sunday on September 10th and run until just before Thanksgiving. It's a fall semester. It's 10 weeks long. It's an opportunity that you have to get plugged in with people here at New Life. And if you're new, it's the best opportunity to plug in with and get to know real people here at the church. We're doing a two-week series, and this is the end of that series that coincides with the launch of small groups for the fall. It's a two-week series on community. It's about living our lives together. Now, Pastor Chris started this series with a great sermon last week, and if you missed it, you can go online and watch it at newlifexn.org, and you can watch the message that he called The Ideal Community, and he talked to us about what it looked like for the first church, the beginning, 2,000 years ago. When the church first started, on Pentecost, when 3,000 people came to faith, in the years that followed, what they did together. He told us that they shared everything together. He told us that they worshiped together every day at the temple. He told us that they lived life together in such a way that more and more people were added to the number of those being saved every single day. He told us that because of the love that they had for one another and the way that they shared everything that they had with each other, that they shared the goodwill of all of the people in their area. You see, in Jerusalem, especially when the first church started, the people who were following this new Jesus, their lives were not just augmented by what they believed. Their lives had been radically changed. Their lives were not just augmented by what they believed. Their lives were radically changed. And I don't know if that hits home for you, the same that hit home for me. But when I thought about that, and I looked at the way that their lives were transformed, many of them seemingly overnight, man, what a difference. I mean, these were the same people who they claimed to be Jews still. They just claimed that they had found the promised Messiah The Bible tells us that every day there were at least some of them going to the temple. Now, their culture was a lot different than ours, mind you. They didn't have a temple on every street corner. It wasn't like their town was the size of Saxonburg and there was nine churches, nine temples in it. There was one. There was the Temple of Solomon. It was in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. It was enormous. It dominated the landscape of the entire city. And they went there every day amongst the same people that killed Jesus and would soon turn to kill them and persecute them 
as well. They started by going there every day to worship together. Their lives were not simply like added. This wasn't something that just added to their lives. Their, their lives were changed. They didn't just go to church. They lived their lives together basically because they didn't have anybody else. And that became all the more true in the years that followed because soon the Jewish people and the Romans attempted to persecute and slaughter the church to eradicate it. At the stoning of the martyr Stephen, the church fled to all areas outside of Jerusalem. And as they fled, they looked for places to hide. They quit meeting just inside of the temple. They began meeting in homes and in hiding spots. The church was recognized as something completely different. In fact, that's going to take us to our take-home point today. Our take-home point is this, and it's the one point that I'm going to seek to make. The church is more than a place that I go. It is people that I live out my life with. The church is more than a place that I go. It is people that I live out my life with. Now, when I say that, it, it's because I'm looking at some of the things that the first church did. You see, sometimes our understanding of church is a little warped because we understand church oftentimes to be a building. Even when we say that church is about people and it's us, it's, it's us, we're the church, we oftentimes describe our church in terms of a building. If somebody asks me where new life is, I don't really tell them, well, it's all over the place. It's inside the homes and hearts of all the people. No, I say, oh, we're the church at the end of Knock Road with the big red roof. I used to say it was the one that looks like a horse barn. Now I say, oh, it's the one with the giant cross on the front of it, right? But we describe churches that we're at or churches that we were previously at by their street address, maybe by their architecture, we're the church downtown with the highest steeple. Just pull into town and look for the highest steeple. You can find us easily. Because in our culture, we oftentimes recognize church not as people, but we recognize it as a building. The early church didn't have that luxury. They did not identify church as a building because they didn't have a building to go to. Once persecution began, not only was the temple that they were going to not the place that they could anymore because they were being persecuted, but it wasn't even their place of worship to begin with. They were Jews, but they were a follower of something called the way. They believed in this Jesus guy, and it seemed like not a whole lot of other people did. And so they went together in these little tight-knit communities. And yes, they worshiped together in large groups, but they were also the church inside their homes and hiding places. The way was not considered a church or, or, or a community based off the building that they were in because they didn't have a building. It was based off of the fact they looked at the church as these groups of people who called Jesus their Savior and their Lord and believed that the promised Messiah had come, been killed, and rose again. For them, the church really was groupings of people. It wasn't about buildings. And we, as modern-day Christians in America, can oftentimes fall for the trap that coming to church, showing up here, means that we're really being part of the church. But just showing up to a building, just consuming but never participating, I don't believe is what Jesus intended when he called us to be part of the church. In fact, I would go, far, go so far as to say, oops, unless I close my apps and then I can't see it. Building and participating in authentic community is not a suggestion, it's a command from God. Building and participating in authentic community is a command 
from God. And I don't just get that off the top of my head. I just bring it up. It's from Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. It says this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us hold tightly to the hope that we affirm. Let us find ways to motivate one another to love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together. Let us encourage one another. See, the early church understood this very well because these were things that they did together every day. But as we move further from real relationships with each other in our culture, these concepts become more and more difficult. God commands us to do more than attend church. He wants us to live life together. Now, I've talked a lot about my interactions with community throughout my life because community and specifically small groups have been very important to me. In fact, whenever I started at New Life, I was very confused seven years ago about what the church really was or what it was supposed to be because for me, although I grew up in church, the church had always been these small pockets of people who had invested in my life, these small communities of people that I had shared my life with. My life had been changed at church, but not dramatically. My life was changed most dramatically by the relationships I built with the people who are at the church in these small pockets of community that I experienced. I didn't really understand all the time why we met corporately or why we got together because my life had been so radically changed by community. This is something I'm incredibly passionate about. In fact, I, I care deeply that people come to know Jesus, but my heart has always been to build community inside of the local church. Uh, that's why I love what I get to do now as your discipleship pastor, because I get the opportunity to create environments where we get to make genuine connections with one another. We don't just show up and worship in a building full of strangers, but we have family here or people as close as family. When I was growing up in high school, um, we had a group of guys who met together on Thursday nights. We would go to this bar and grill and have wings together, and then we would go to a Bible study with a group of high school guys and my youth pastor, and a group of about 80 or 90 kids for a youth group. The Thursday night Bible study plan was about five guys. That group changed my life. Those guys are still very much so like brothers to me, even though our paths have gone in very vastly different directions over the years. Those moments in high school changed my life. When I got into college, I was invited to join a Monday afternoon group in the back of a coffee shop by a local pastor and actually a couple of friends of mine. And in that group, we would gather six or eight or ten guys in this back room, and this pastor would pour his life into us, and we would pour our lives into one another. And that group radically changed my life. In fact, one of our, our executive pastor, Barry, that's one of how I really got to know him. He had previously been part of that group and graduated ahead of me from college, but Barry came back to that group on Monday nights because he worked right in uh, at a church close by, and, and he would come down and invest in our lives as young college guys. And then now, as I graduated from college and I'm here, I get to invest in about three or four incredible small communities here that have changed my life. One of those is being a staff here at New, staff member here at New Life. Now, I know for the most of us, we don't get to be staff members here at New Life, but for me, it's incredible to be a staff member here because I get to work with people that I actually like working with. I've been at places where I don't like working with the people. I worked at Burger King once. 
that was working with people who actually, I actually really enjoyed working at Burger King, to be honest with you. It was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, but I get to work with people here every day that I absolutely adore and love to work with. I get to work with some of the most influential and talented people, in my opinion, anywhere around. It's so exciting to be able to invest my time and energy with them. And we don't just work together. We actually spend our time together. We have Christmas parties together. We go out to eat together. We hang out outside of church and work together. Heck, Alex, I I think I see Alex, our youth pastor, like every single day. Even on our days off, we hang out and play board games together. Another one of the communities I get to be a part of is this men's small group on Wednesday mornings. This men's small group, which I was like a little nervous about starting, and I've told you about before, is mostly full of retired guys and then myself. Now, I've worked with teenagers throughout most of my last decade of my life, and that isn't a whole lot. That's like a third of it, so, you know, that's a lot of time spent with teenagers if it's a third of your life. And and I was nervous about meeting with a bunch of guys who were retired. How was I going to relate to them and stuff? But that has been one of the most influential things that I've ever participated in. I love those guys. It's been an incredible experience. I get to be part of a community with our small group leaders here at New Life. And I led them at one point, but I get the honor now of being a volunteer underneath our youth pastor, Alex. And I get the opportunity to invest in the lives. We have parties together. We hang out together. They're like my family. And then along with all of that, I get the opportunity to be part of this small group with young married couples at our church. And we meet together once a week. That's true during semesters anyway, but we invest in each other's lives. It's a group of like-minded couples who are all in a similar stage of life, who've all committed to living in this community and living out our lives and raising our children together. They've become my family here. And you all have become my family as well because community is that important to me. But as we look at building community, I recognize that there are things that stand between us and authentic, life-changing relationships. And these specifically two things, I think, are the things that stand in between us more than anything else. The first thing is technology. Technology stands in our way of making genuine connections with people. Now, that might not be a huge surprise to you because technology is advancing at a rate that's insane. And it used to be that like Saxonburg and Western Pennsylvania were like a decade behind everywhere else. And that may be true for some generations, but for students, that is not true. Because of the limitless access to technology, their world moves and changes at the same pace that the rest of the world does. Even if their parents and the rest of their community still, you know, we... We honor our, our, our historical landmark plaques along Saxonburg, uh, and I'm not against that at all. Don't get me wrong, but the, the next generation doesn't move at that speed. They move much, much, much faster. Their world changes every couple of years. I started in youth ministry here seven years ago. The high schoolers I deal with today and the high schoolers I deal with seven years ago are completely different. They're not even similar in the way that they relate to one another, the way they communicate with one another. They're completely different. It's crazy, the the vast change that has happened because mostly of technology. The phone that I have in my pocket is a more powerful computer than the one that I had growing up in my house, that giant desktop with the monitor that was this big that required a computer desk that took up half of our living room. You remember those? The dial-up internet and everything. That computer was was a fraction as powerful as the phone that I have in my pocket with a touchscreen. We live in a world of limitless technology and information. At our fingertips is an answer to just about any question that we could possibly 
simply ask. It might not be the right answer, but there's one that is available for us. There are more podcasts just on one subject than we could possibly have time to listen to. TV is limitless. I grew up without cable. TV wasn't limitless for me as a kid. You could watch everything that was on TV. Nowadays, it's impossible. You don't have enough time ever in your whole life to watch all the shows that are on our televisions. Information and screens specifically are accessible at all times. Now, if you don't believe me, I encourage you today, after church, go out to eat and leave your phone in your car. Go to a crowded place. I encourage, actually, Olive Garden. Go to Olive Garden. This is usually the number one offender. Go to Olive Garden, leave your phone in the car, sit at the table, and then look around and see how many people are together but separately looking at two different screens. And you'll see that we live in a world that's constantly telling us we're more connected while simultaneously making us more and more isolated. The constant distraction of technology makes it more and more difficult to connect with others. Now, I understand the draw of the screen. I do. I love screens. Screens are one of my favorite things in life. I have screens all over the place. My wife used to, like, make fun of me. Well, she still makes fun of me. She'll, like, come in the living room, and there's, like, my computer's open, and I have my tablet in my hand, and my watch is on my wrist, and I got my phone set up. I'm, like, surrounded by screens, Right? I understand the draw of the screen. My wife is oftentimes the victim of the husband who's looking at his phone in the public restaurant. I get it. I get the draw of the screen. But something that's been convicting to me was a study that I recently looked at. Actually, it was my wife who found it. The University of Michigan did a study on teenagers. And they looked at teenagers and the activities that they participated in before and after 2007. Why 2007? Because the iPhone came out in 2007. So they want to know what effect the iPhones specifically, but smartphones in general, have had on today's teenagers. What they found is really interesting. Teenagers today are significantly less likely to hang out with friends than they were 10 years ago. Less likely to hang out with friends. They're far less likely to get their driver's license. And if you don't believe that's true, I can show you tons and tons of examples of kids who are 20, 21, 22, 23 who do not have their driver's license. Lots of them. They're less likely to have their driver's license. They're less likely to have sex. They're more likely to be depressed. And they are less likely to get an adequate amount of sleep. Now, some of you have teenagers in here. And what you heard amongst all of that was, if I get my kid the best phone, they will not have sex. That's what you heard. That's not what I said. But that's what you heard. You already have one in your shopping cart on Amazon right now. You're like, shoot. Get a new iPhone, protecting my kid. <laughs> Although that may be true, that today's teenagers are actually less likely to have sex than they were 10 years ago, the limitless technology that it has our fingertips is a far, far more challenging sexual world for teenagers to navigate. If you don't believe me, you can listen to my message a couple of months ago on the strongholds of the soul because I had to navigate that world, and it's more challenging today, far more challenging today than it was, and it's not just for guys. Sexuality and limitless technology combined is a challenging world for both guys and for girls. So we live in this world that continually makes us and tells us that we're more connected. In reality, all that we are is more in the loop. We have hundreds of friends, thousands of followers, but no true relationships. No true connections. 
We're more in the loop with information than we've ever been, and we're more isolated and individualized than any time in history. The second thing that stands between us and genuine community and relationships is our schedule. Now, in light of thinking about technology, I actually want to talk about something that was brought about about 4,000 years ago, about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, give or take. We don't really know, but sometime in there, we started tracking time. We started being able to tell what time it was. Now, I'm sure people knew it was night and it was day, but about 4,000 years ago, we began tracking the heavenly bodies in such a way that we could tell about what time it was. Now, that tracking of the heavenly bodies over the years has turned into an exact science. In fact, I found out, and I think I left it down there. Uh, no, it's in my pocket. Someone gave me this yesterday because I didn't know how this worked. But evidently, our national time is established and maintained by the atomic clock. I don't know what that is, but it is a clock. Uh, and Time Beacon, which sounds super cool, located and broadcasted from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, located in Boulder, Colorado. See, what started is looking in the sky and seeing and trying to determine what time it was has come to be an exact science. Even as a kid growing up, you would walk into my house and all of our clocks look a little bit different, right? Well, the clock on the wall was a little bit slow because the battery was dying, but I couldn't read that one anyway because it had Roman numerals around it. Who the heck reads Roman numerals? Certainly not me. I could read the digital clock that was on our stove, but sometimes that was off. My dad's watch was a little different than that one. And so when you were told to come in in time for dinner, well, you had better be on time for these, the, the clock that was like the, the fastest clock in the house, right? Because otherwise you were late, according to dad's watch or the stove or the clock on the kitchen wall. Nowadays, that's not the case. Nowadays, according to this time beacon and something that sets my watch and my phone and my tablet, they all say the same time. From my computer screen to this tablet, this watch, my phone, my digital calendar, are all matched to say the exact same time that all of yours do. Now, that's a really good thing. We have the ability to stay on time. Being able to track time and be punctual isn't a bad thing, but our culture has moved from just being able to track it to being obsessed with it. We've become obsessed with time. In fact, I would go as far as to say is that I think that most of us think about time, worry about time, and check the time way more than we think about or talk to Jesus. We are way more concerned with what time it is than what work the Holy Spirit is doing around us. Another culture may accurately look at our obsession with time and say that we worship it. That being punctual is our God. I think that's kind of true. When I think of my own life, I think of my schedule. And I feel like every week I sort of like come to my men's group and I say, I have this really busy schedule. In fact, I think a lot of the staff members know now on Monday morning, don't mess with Mark. On Monday morning, I have this to-do list. It's a mile long and I'm going to knock it all out. I got meetings to be at. I got things to do. And I think a lot of times I wake up with my schedule in my hand and I'm off to get done and do God's work. But in reality, God has something else in store for me that day, but I've never taken a moment to even speak with him long enough to know what God would have me do. I have my own agenda. I have my own list of things to get done. I don't think many of you probably can relate to that. In fact, there is a quote that I really do like. It's hard to live by, um, but it was by another pastor, and, and he said, if the devil cannot make you bad, he will make you busy. 
If he can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Another youth pastor who was kind of, he's like a big influencer in the field of youth ministry. I was at a conference and, and here in the Pittsburgh area and he was speaking and he said he thinks the greatest, one of the greatest sins that you can commit, not just as a Christian, not just as a youth pastor, but also as a Christian, is the sin of busyness. Being so busy that we don't have time or energy for what God is doing around us. The sin of busyness. So through the tyranny of keeping time and our schedules and the connection to technology, the devil has used these things in our culture that were meant and intended for good to put bars and walls between us and building true, authentic community. Now, there are a lot of things that stand between us and building real relationships but there's really only one word that stands between us and really making that commitment. And that word is commitment. The one word that stands between us and true, authentic community is commitment. We can do anything that we really commit to. But it takes a commitment, and commitment oftentimes requires sacrifice. There's lots of Wednesday mornings that I don't feel like waking up early and going to King's. There'd be a lot of restaurants that I'd be far more excited about waking up and going to, but King's is just not one of them. But it takes commitment to set aside our schedules and our technology and make it a priority to be part of the local church, to truly invest in that community. You see, if the local church really is relationships, if being involved in the church is more than just showing up to a building, then if we simply show up and participate, we're not really being part of the body of Jesus at all. In fact, if we claim that we're part of the body of Jesus, but all we do is show up and participate, all we do is show up and consume, but we never really engage and make genuine relationships with people, we're not only tricking ourselves, but we are potentially doing damage to the body of Jesus Christ. When we love one another and make genuine connections with each other, when we share what's going on in our lives, when we pray for one another, when we speak truth and love into each other's lives, whether that's through small groups or ministry teams or something else, where we're making real connections with people, we are more fully living out the vision of new life to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. When we fail to do those things, we stand against, potentially against, what God is attempting to do here in Saxonburg. When we settle for just showing up to church and grabbing our cup of coffee, singing a few songs and heading home for the week, but we don't make truly living in the community of the church a top priority in our lives, really connecting with people, not just saying hi to people and shaking hands during church, but having genuine connections here, life-changing relationships. When we do not make the commitment to prioritize relationships in this place over a lot of other relationships in our lives, we could be hand handicapping the body of Jesus Christ that is new life here in Saxonburg. Now, I know those are some really bold statements, but I also know that it's not easy to commit to building community. I've told you before, I'm really passionate about this. Community is incredibly important to me. When I graduated from college, I had this group of really close-knit people. We were really tight. 
These guys had changed my life over and over again. I can think back to these moments where I had decisions to make, and one direction would have been very bad, and the other direction was a much better decision. And I was on the verge of making the bad decision, but because I confessed those things to these guys, I made a very different decision, and my life went in a very different direction. My pastor at the time called them watershed opportunities, the moment when you could go one way or go the other, but you were never going back. And so because I had had these relationships and these experiences with them, we were all getting ready to either graduate college or go our separate ways. We all knew this was the last semester that our group would be together. So we went down to this, ended up being kind of a junky wing joint, um, down from Geneva and Beaver Falls. So we all sat together and we began talking back and forth with one another about what was next. Because community had become such a big part of our lives, we didn't want to give it up. And we knew we had stumbled across something special. We knew we had stumbled across something that didn't happen every day. The friendships that we had made in that group, the relationships that we had with one another, were not something that just happened. They had to be intentional. And we knew it would be much harder to create them once we were out of college. So we talked about grand ideas, about all getting a big house together and raising kids together and having families together, but one of us was going to California. I didn't know where the heck I was going. Some of us were moving to Pittsburgh. It just wasn't going to happen. So we made a pact and agreed that when we went, wherever we went, we would all seek to build community wherever we went. And when we built something and we found something similar to what we had in college, we would text everybody and let everybody know and invite everyone to come and join us. So a couple of years ago, I dug up those guys' numbers, and I sent a text message out to all of them and said, hey, I found it. It's in Butler. Would you guys like to come and join me? And no one has come to join me up to this point, but the invitation still stands on my end for them to come and join us here in Butler with this community because I found that genuine community here. But it didn't happen overnight. When I first came to New Life, my biggest fear was that I wouldn't have people to genuinely connect with. So I brought a couple of guys from that old community and we rented a couple places on Main Street and I set out to do the hard work of building a new community here in Saxonburg. And I knew it wasn't gonna be enough to commute back and forth from my parents' house, but that I would have to live in this community. It wasn't enough to drive back and forth to Beaver Falls every weekend and hang out with my friends. I had to be in this community every day and spend time with people from New Life all the time. And when my wife and I got married, we looked around and we saw our wedding party. And I remember feeling both happy and sad. Happy because these were the people who had changed my life time and time again. Sad because I knew for the most part, I wasn't going to have a relationship with them anymore. It wasn't because I didn't love them, but I knew that when we came to Saxonburg, we were coming to Saxonburg. We weren't coming to Saxonburg and still commuting back and forth to my high school area or where I went to college. We were coming to invest in relationships here. And many of our relationships would dwindle, not because we didn't love those people, but because we believed that God intends us to be fully invested in the church that he's put us in. And that has meant sacrifice. I've honored relationships here, new relationships above relationships with close friends, relationships here over relationships with extended family, missed extended family gatherings to start new traditions with people here. I've disconnected with old mentors to build relationships with new ones. That didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of time. But I fully believe that you don't, there's nothing like being part of the local church. And my biggest fear as your discipleship pastor is that I'll work here and that people will just come here and then leave and go home 
and they'll think they're really being part of the body of Jesus Christ and that you'll miss it. You'll miss it. That's my biggest fear, that you'll miss it because of schedules and technology and priorities, and I've used all the excuses in the book. I understand life stages are difficult. This semester for small group won't be an easy commitment to make, and next one will probably be even harder, and there'll be an unlimited amount of excuses as to why you can't build real relationships with people here in this building, but I so wholeheartedly believe that when we build relationships with the local church that God has called us to, that our lives are altered and changed in a way that can't happen anywhere else. There's no other way to really be involved in the church than put it at the top of our priority list and say, I'm not just going to attend here, but I'm going to fully embrace it. These people are going to be my brothers and sisters. These people are going to be my family. These people are going to be the people that I raise my children with. These people are going to be the people that come over to my house to eat, and I'm going to go over to theirs to eat. I'm going to grow spiritually with them. I'm going to share my deepest secrets with them. I'm going to share my secret sins with them. And I'm going to respect them as they speak into my life in love. And I'm going to speak into their lives with love as well. I think that's what it really means to be part of the church. And I think if we don't do that, we miss out on what it means to encourage one another to love and good works. To continue meeting together. We can come to church and trick ourselves into believing that we're meeting together when we're never really meeting together at all. I'm so passionate about this. Because I've experienced it. And I know how good it is to not just go to church, but to feel like this church is my home. Not because I love the building, but because I love the people. And I don't have that genuine connection with all of you in the room, and frankly, none of you will have that connection with everyone in the room. But I want that connection with some people. And I want you to have that connection with some people too. Which brings us to our take, our commitment today. Our commitment today is this. I will make community with my church a top priority. Not way over on time, I'm sorry. I will make community with my church a top priority. This week, that will not be easy. But if you participate in a ministry team here, if you're part of a small group, if your life has been changed in some way by the community of the church, then you understand this importance. I don't have to sell it to you. But if you're here today and you feel like, I don't really know anybody, I don't know. Like, I feel like I have some friends here. People shake my hand, but I've never really made a real connection with anybody. And I'm challenging you and encouraging you to say no to the schedules, to say no like feeling we're connected through technology and disguising the fact that we're more isolated, to say no to whatever our past experiences may have been that are stopping us from making real friends here, and to join a small group today. You have the opportunity to take a step into life-changing community. And if that small group doesn't work out for you, that's okay. There are more. Try a new one. I'm challenging you today to really get invested in life-changing community. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I don't know what happened between last night and this morning, but evidently I said a bunch of stuff I didn't say last night. Lord, I thank you. I pray, Father, that you would convict us today to prioritize your church, your bride, over the other things in our lives, to make this the source of our community, our comfort, our encouragement, our connection, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen.